Thank you so much for joining our Gen Church Wa podcast. We are a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. It's 2022. We have so many exciting events, gatherings, and opportunities for you around Generations Church. If you'd like to learn more about these opportunities, these events, these gatherings, head over to mygenerations.church to check them out. So what does it mean to be spiritual? How does followership of Jesus look in an era of postmodernism and deconstruction? We're getting back into our series on 1 Corinthians called Masterclass, where the Apostle Paul will help us navigate our cultural moment. Let's respond to the scripture and spirit together. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'll be starting in verse 1. And it says this, Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know. It is he ought to know it. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. About eating food sacrificed to idols, then we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many, and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father. All things are from him and will exist from him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things are through him, and we exist through him. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry. Some have been so used to idolatry up until now that even when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better off if we do eat. But be careful that this right of yours is in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols as well? So the weak person... The brother or sister for whom Christ died is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will, not, I will never eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Will you pray with me? Father, as we gather this morning to celebrate you, to glorify you, to experience community and family in which you have called us into, God, I pray that we see you and we hear you tangibly this morning, that we're able to respond to the good news that you have. For Welcome us. back to Master God, Class. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time, we are in a series where we are using 1 Corinthians as the basis for our master class. And this is a master class, not of cooking, 
or how to train your dog or how to be a better parent. Though those things might be influenced by this class. No, we are looking at how to be fully human, to, to become like Christ. Because as Paul addresses in his letter, this is what the Corinthian church is. They are like Christ. They are in Christ. And he wants them to become what they are. And so it's learning how to live life through the perspective of Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection. And so while I'm delivering this content, taking us through this master class, I am in fact not the teacher. It is Paul interacting and writing to this church in Corinth. And he has been shaped by Jesus and he is helping them think through all of life, everyday life, the ins and the outs through the way of Jesus. And so what has happened so far is that Paul has heard about their conduct. And he's concerned about their conduct. So he, he writes this letter in response. Because their behavior and branding do not match what they are. And he refutes their thinking and living by filtering what he has heard from them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, then it gets better. They have written to Paul and said, okay, we've got some questions Will you answer for us these questions? And Paul responds in the middle of the letter to their letter that they had written to him. So first he responds to what he has heard. And then as we get through the letter, he responds to what they have written and asked him on all kinds of different issues. Last several weeks, we've been talking about sexuality. In today's text, Paul moves out of this discussion on sexuality into something much more Riveting. Food. <laughs> Today we're going to have some helpers, though. Not just Paul and the Holy Spirit guiding you through to, to uh, our text today. Uh, so let me introduce you to two friends that are going to help us through our time together today. First guy I want to introduce you to. Little fella here. His name is Joe No. Joe No. He grew up in a household that had the soundtrack that what you did was going to save them. That he, you know, if attended church so often, if he did all the right things, then he would be good and he would be saved. You know, he was never allowed to watch the rated R movies because um, those were bad. He had to stay away from Harry Potter. Um, and he just was told, you know, if you just never get drunk, if you don't uh, date girls that chew or anything like that, then you're good, and, and, and you're on the path to the, to the good life. And, you know, just the, if he saved himself from marriage, and, you know, then, then God would be pleased with him. It's kind of this thinking that, you know, as he explored things of faith that, you know, Jesus' grace was sufficient for about 90% of his life. But then the last 10% was all up to him and what he could do. So we have Joe No. The other Joe that we get to know here is Joe Bro. <laughs> Joe Bro grew up in a house where, you know, there wasn't really much rules. It was kind of freedom. Like when his dad sat down and had the conversation that said, just use protection, son. You know, go crazy. It was the kind of conversation where it says hey just do kind of whatever you want money experiment you know try all kinds of different things just enjoy and figure out life 
No restrictions. But here's the thing. Joe No and Joe Bro start to hang around the life and the teachings of Jesus, influenced by their friends, and then they meet Christ. And so both Joe Bro and Joe No react to the work of Christ in their life. And so Jono starts to read his Bible, and he's had a soundtrack playing in his mind. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, stay away from this, uh, stay away from that. And my parents said, I can never do that. And But as Jono starts to read his Bible and experiences some freedom that Christ brings, he, he realized that, that following Jesus is a little bit more than rules, that it's actually about a relationship and Christ transforming grace and relationship in his wife. He's like, hey, Jesus drank wine. My parents never said I could do that. Maybe I should just try some. The crazy thing is, though, is while Jesus did drink wine, people tended to find out more about who he was. And you may use the excuse to drink wine and go a little bit crazy and have you told anyone about Christ while well, you do that? So just that, you know, that little free aside on that one. And he says, I can do what I want. I'm not bound by these rigid rules. And so he kind of reacts to his upbringing. But then Joe Bro reacts to the work of Christ in his life. And he starts to realize that boundaries aren't all bad. He's been to parties and He's lived a life kind of frivolously, and then he realizes there's a lot of brokenness, and there's a lot of difficulty in his life because of his life choices. And so while Joe No is struggling with kind of the internal reality, and Joe Bro recognizes the external reality of maybe some, some brokenness and some difficult and fractured relationships, Joe Bro starts to, you know, implement some rules because he had a painful reality. And now he's kind of reacting. Chances are, one of these two are you. In your upbringing, maybe you had more of a legalistic upbringing or background where it was don't do this, don't do that. Here are the rules, here are the boundaries. Don't you dare step outside of them. And as you begin to explore things of Christ and as, as you go through life, you start to react. To that. And then you've got Joe Bro. Maybe that's that's kind of you where you're like, man, your, your parents didn't really give you much rules or much regulations. You were kind of allowed to make it up as you went, make it up as you just simply lived. And now you're trying to reconcile what is good boundaries and what does life in Christ mean for good decision making. You have a soundtrack that plays beneath the main drama and colors the mood of situations you encounter. Both Joe No and Joe Bro, whatever situation they encounter, they have their upbringing and their background and their story that colors and plays the music that affects how they see and interact with different people, situations, and circumstances. I mean, just think about it. Any good movie, the soundtrack goes with the mood of the movie. Really fast and exciting can create some drama and some excitement. Really slow and pulled back can make it feel more emotional. We all have soundtracks to our lives. Stories or lies or truths that, that color our upbringing as we encounter different situations and different circumstances. 
We all have soundtracks from our stories. And what happens is when we encounter different situations, different relationships, and we're not quite sure what to do in the midst of those, we have to determine which soundtrack will we listen to. Because the word might be, we don't talk about Bruno, and maybe we need to talk about Bruno, for those of you Encanto fans out there. <laughs> See, sometimes there are just things and sayings and ways of living and being that we actually need to address and replace the soundtrack of our story and our upbringing with the story of God and allow that to shape our thinking. But this is a lifelong journey. And what happens is oftentimes we, we bounce between maybe what we've heard from a teaching like this in Scripture or from friends and then from our upbringings and stories. So much so that even maybe during the course of a day when you encounter conflict, you bounce between no, there are rules and they're rigid or no, uh, there's some freedom given. Those of you with partners or even kids, maybe this all this bouncing around is in your head and your heart, and you know this from a firsthand experience. Maybe you're in a toxic work environment, and you feel this, this tug and this reality of, do I distance myself or do I engage? How do I apply and live the way of Jesus? Maybe because of hurt in your past. Maybe because of a prior work experience. Maybe you've got some scripture that speaks in to say, I should love my neighbor as my self and what happens is in these situations we have to answer some difficult and very practical questions think about some issues today can you be a christian and ingest weed how much square footage for a house is too much should my kids dress up as a witch or a ghost and participate in halloween Things that maybe there's not a clear scriptural chapter and verse that says, but we have to choose as a follower of Jesus how we should engage. And so, for example, let's introduce the issue of food sacrifice to idols. Some of you go, Kyle, food sacrifice to idols? Like, what is this? This seems odd. But let me give you the rundown of food sacrificed in temples to idols in that first century. Sacrifice to false gods in Corinth. So what happened is to curry favor with local gods or to appease the gods out of fear, people would gather together and make sacrifices. And a sacrifice cost a lot. Usually they, they took food or grain or oftentimes meat because meat costs a lot. And it was a way of that currying the favor or appeasing the gods to try to manipulate the circumstances. Because maybe if they just did everything right, then things would go well for them. But what happened is after they sacrificed the meat, usually the priests in the temple would get a third of the meat. The people who did the sacrifice got a third of the meat to throw a party and eat, throw a backyard barbecue. And then, and hope that ingesting the meat that would invite the God to intercede and be a part of their life, whether God, deity, or demon. And then the last is they would sell a third of the meat in the market to gain some income. And so when people came to Christ, 
there were three groups. There were people, as they looked at this practice in their culture, that said, these other gods are real, and they are in the meat, therefore we should not eat the meat. There's a second group that said, there aren't any demons in the meat, but I cannot eat the meat because it reminds me of my old life. Because associated with those temple practices was sleeping with temple prostitutes and things of the like, what we talked about the last couple of weeks. And then there was a third group that said, forget it. Eat all the meat you want. Pulled pork, bacon, like go to town. There's no demons. They don't have any power. We have power in Christ. So just eat all you want. There's really no effect on your life. And so with all those three groups, with those three groups in mind, Paul responds to them. And he turns in chapter 8, verse 1. Now about the food sacrificed to idols. And Paul can't help himself but interrupt. And he says, as he prepares to address this issue, he says, I need to address actually the underlying issue. He's like, at times, we make the issue about the issue. And what Paul wants us to understand is he will get to the issue. Where sacrifice, meat sacrificed to idols and eating and participating and all that stuff. How that all plays and how Christians should think about that. But before he gets there, he's like, let's address your heart. Let's address your thinking. Let's address the underlying reality. Because in their mind, they're saying, Paul, just give us an answer. And we are the same. We want so often to just be told what to do. But if we rely on the rules, we will never be responsive enough in any given situation. And if we say no to rules and do whatever we want, then we're forgetting who we are in Christ. And so Paul provides an answer in his thinking that's filtered through the life, death, and resurrection and return of Jesus. And so we're going to tackle kind of the whole issue of what Paul gets to in the behavior here in a couple weeks. He, he works that out as we move towards chapter 10. As he deals with idolatry and its adjacent activity. But before Paul can deal with the behavior, Paul first deals with a person's attitude toward their fellow Christians. He says, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he does not yet know as he ought to know it. If anyone loves God, he is known by him. Paul is not anti-intellectual. He's not anti-knowledge or knowing things. Well, earlier in the letter, he clearly chastises knowledge. Later in the letter, Paul says, knowledge is a gift for the church. But the imagery associated with this saying helps us understand what he is getting after. See, knowledge exercised for the sake of self inflates oneself. Like self-justifying. Knowledge of the love of God for us exercised in our love for others actually builds others up see it's a conflicting image when you have knowledge and you're after self-justifying when you are trying to live life by the rules as how you see them 
as you determine right and wrong in your own mind, what happens is you take that knowledge, you take information, and you try to self-justify and say, I am in the right. And what Paul says is, you actually may be in the right. But true knowledge doesn't seek to self-justify, doesn't seek to inflate oneself in the eyes of others. Doesn't seek to be a peacock and wave the big feathers and say, I'm the biggest and baddest. And make all the sights and colors. Doesn't, you know, like when a bear comes and you're supposed to get really big and scary and make, to try to scare it off. What happens is so often we try to use knowledge and try to intimidate things in our life and say, oh, we really know. We really know what's going on. And well, Paul say, no. Knowledge does not seek to intimidate, does not seek to puff up, does not seek to make oneself bigger. No, love on the outcome of knowledge builds others up. Builds others up. And here Paul acknowledges the truth that an idol is really nothing. See, if we buy into the enlightenment dictum of I think, therefore I am, it's Paul's, in Paul's mind it might be revised to say, I am known by God, therefore I am. Paul wants them to become what they are. They are loved children of God. They are known and cherished by God. Therefore, they can be patient and love and seek to build others and orient others towards that love. Rather than seek to inflate oneself that says, I am in the right. He's saying your behavior is an outcome of your belonging to Christ. It is God who sits supreme upon the earth and all that is in it. That's why Paul, he continues. He's like, if anyone thinks he's known, he's not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. And he goes into this, uh, he says, returns to this idea of back to this eating food sacrifice to idols. And he says, an idol is nothing. God is the one who is in charge. He is Lord over all. And so in comparison to all of these other lesser things, our life must be oriented around that because we are known by the God of love and we should respond accordingly. Allow me to re-enchant the world for a second. See, there are lesser gods. There are principalities and powers in our earth that want to tug at your heart, that want to play a soundtrack into your life that say, be this way, operate this way, think this way, give your life to me. And what God, and what Paul is saying here, is that Christ should be the dominant sound in our life that shapes us, so that when we step and when we respond, when he says, go fast, because it's upbeat, we are able to go fast and be upbeat. When he says, slow down, we are able to slow our soul down and respond to him. Because these lesser gods want you to believe that they have the power or key to provide the good life. It is the one true and living God who has such might and such right that was then embodied in Jesus who holds the true authority. Therefore, the other idols, gods, lesser lords are kind of brought back down to reality and they won't hold so much sway. They want to hold so much power while they tug at our hearts. And the Corinthians have argued, 
argued that as they're surrounded by temples, as they're surrounded by this sacrifice, as that's a part of their social life and social experience, that they go, yeah, those things are all fake. They're just wood. They're stone. No big deal. We can be with people. We can serve and respond to God. And those gods represented by idols really don't hold much power, much weight, because there is only one God. Paul's like, yeah, you're right. There is only one God, and he is Lord of all. But he qualifies his agreement with this. He says, while you know that to be true, first, the non-existent gods have a reality of a kind that must finally inform both their relationship with other believers and their own relationship with the only true God. And Paul's going to spell that out here in a moment. And second, the fuller explanation of Christian monotheism. So meaning that when we understand God is Lord and creator of all, that he's a good plan for our lives, that he loves us and cherishes us as his children, that our God not only exists in uniqueness, but that the Corinthians have a relationship to the one and only God out of his love for us must finally determine their own lives. Meaning, again, they must live with the soundtrack that God is a creator God who has moved purposeful towards them and loves them and invites them into relationship with him. And they are fully known and loved in him. And this love changes how you relate to other believers. And therefore, that love, not knowledge, must serve as the primary motive for Christian ethics and relationships. Paul must address those who know. He says, however, not everyone has this knowledge. He's like, you may know that these idols, these things are lesser. They're not true. They, they, they don't hold power. They don't hold authority. Why they tug at your heart, why they tug at your lives, why you feel the pressure, they are lesser. And he says, some have been so used up to idolatry until now that when they eat the food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. You are not worse off if we don't eat it. and We're not better off if we do eat it. See, your posture towards people proves your allegiance. Eating meat or not eating meat as a means of manipulation does not bring you closer to God. And eating meat against your conscience doesn't make it you a better public witness. Let's go back to our Joes. Joe Bro may think based on his past life, and experience with idolatry and idol food, it makes it difficult for him to distinguish between the two. Every time he sees meat, every time he's around it, he thinks about his own life. And he can't help but in his conscience go, I feel like that's worshiping some other lesser God. And if I'm doing this, then I'm choosing to worship some other God. And the thought may be from Joe No, saying, bro, it's just meat. Idols do not have any real experience or existence or power over you since you are in Christ. And when you eat the meat, the demon isn't going to enter you. Meat is a gift from God. Dude, just chillax. The posture is often suck it up, get over it, grow up, don't you know. But Joe Bro also has this in the back of his mind. 
I'm supposed to love and serve my neighbor, and maybe eating this food will bring me into contact with or connect me with them. And so maybe if I just say no to my conscience, maybe that will help me be a little bit better follower of God. And, and being a little bit better follower of God, maybe God will approve of me because I'm, I'm living out kind of my faith in front of people by kind of going against my own conscience. What Paul is saying here is in any time we say kind of grow up, suck it up, don't you know, to another believer who has a conviction because something takes them back to their old way of living as they are trying to best follow Jesus as they engage in different scenarios and different circumstances. We're actually causing them to sin. And we are sinning against God. See, in the Roman world, the establishment and nurturing of relationships with wealthier and more well-connected members of society were important for social and economic survival. Everyone needed to have connections with more influential individuals who might help them navigate through the difficult political, legal, and financial challenges they would face. But the soundtrack in their head could not must not be the approval of others. What Joe Bro must hear is out of his belonging to Christ, which leads him to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, is that he will testify about the one and true living God who has changed his life. It's not really about the acts and manipulation or the appeasement of God's anger or to assuage a fear or an attempt to curry the favor. Hence, Paul's conclusion is that it's really not about the meat. It's about your posture. Are you trying to manipulate God? Are you trying to self-justify? Are you trying to work through all the, the ins and outs, the mental hoop jumps of how do I get it right? Or do you simply first recognize that you belong to Christ and as you respond to the Spirit in your life, be obedient and responsive to that. No more hoop jumping. No more mental gymnastics. And if you feel tempted, as Joe know, to, to say, just suck it up or deal with it, or even in Joe Bro's case, to look at Joe No and says, hey, you should live by these set of rules. I know you feel free in Christ to, to interact with the world in this way. I actually think my way is better. In both cases, when they look at each other and seek to get to, for you to be like me. For Joe Bro to look at Joe No and say, you need to be more like me. And for Joe No to look at Joe Bro and say, you need to be more like me. They both miss the mark. Because the target is ourself. And in the way of Jesus, the target is not to make you more like me. Or to make me more like you. The target is become more like Christ. Which means that in any and every circumstance we find ourselves in, we can respond appropriately because the presence of God dwells in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge during an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your knowledge. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you are sinning against Christ. Paul says, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, 
I will never again eat meat so that it won't cause my brother or sister to fall. Paul is referring to the weaponizing of your freedom in Christ to the detriment of another. Here's the interplay of love and knowledge and building comes up, comes into clear focus. Joe No may think he is helping Joe bro out by throwing his arm around him and say, come on, man, let's go to the temple and get some meat. In an attempt to build up the weak with their knowledge, what they do instead is tear them down. And because the people involved are brothers and sisters, they must be built up in the proper way. This means no more insistence on freedom since freedom as such moves in the direction of individualized existence. Again, focusing more on what we think is right or wrong rather than being responsive to God while love moves in the direction of community and care for others. They must love each other. So when Joe Bro says, and I just can't handle being around alcohol. I just can't handle participating in Halloween. I just can't handle this thing he should not say that joe no must do exactly as him and nor should joe no say suck it up deal with it but they should learn to live together in harmony respecting each other where they precisely are knowing that the soundtrack of god that he is at work in their life they can trust not in what they see nor in what they know but in who God is, trusting that the work of the Holy Spirit is at work in both of their lives. So the common basis of their life in Christ is not knowledge and freedom at all, but the death of Christ. Their arrogance and insensitivity, which could destroy a member of God's family in the name and knowledge of freedom, are thus contrasted with Christ's love unto death. For the Corinthians, knowledge meant rights to act in freedom, which for them apparently has become the highest good. And since it led to the exaltation of the individual, for Paul, the opposite prevails. Love means the free giving up of one's rights for the sake of the other. And life together in community is the aim of salvation. So what Paul's saying here, as he works and talks about this idol and sacrifice to meet, is that being right isn't the primary point. Your righteousness needs to be overcome by love. Here's the reality. Some of you know a lot of things. Some of you know it's essential to vaccinate. Some of you know that it's wrong to vaccinate. Some of you know about the greatest and worst presidents. Some of you know what good cooking is and what bad cooking is. Some of you know your Star Wars. And what happens is when our knowledge of these things, of our positions and our points, become the greatest place of emphasis, we miss out on love. It shows up in our posts and how we talk. And the question is, can you sacrifice? Can you withhold that opinion? Can you withhold that point so, so that someone doesn't think like you can stay connected to Jesus? Can you die to knowing? Can you die to knowing so that people who hear more about Jesus than Star Wars? That's a tough one, right? 
Maybe it's your favorite sport. Maybe it's your favorite politician. Maybe it's any hot topic that you name of right now. You've probably, I said the vaccination thing, you can probably think of masks or a million other things. So you talk about what you love. You post about what you love. You post about what you know or what you think you know. And here's the case is you may be right. You may be right. But Paul says that's not the point. Is love overcomes. Love moves towards. Love says, I will think about the other person, which may mean you withhold something, even if you're right. You withhold your perspective, you withhold your opinion, so that you can act in love. And some of you right now are screaming in your hearts going, but there's a truth, but there's right and wrong. And Paul fully acknowledges that. He's going to get to, he, he talks about that when it comes to sexuality. He talks about that when it comes to adultery. He's saying, I'm not saying that there isn't a truth, that there isn't a way. But what happens is so often we want to lead with the point and we want to lead with right and try to might and manipulate people. That he says, no, actually what people need to see first is love. So you do not get to pick whether or not you worship. You get to pick the who or the what. And who and what you worship comes out in what you talk about and what you post about. Worship isn't merely a religious practice. Worship is a human practice. It's the act of sacrificing for fill in the blank. If you are willing to sacrifice for a certain perspective or a certain issue or a certain way, then that is what you care about. That is what you love. And while there are a lot of idols and gods that pull at your heart that says, no, this is right. This is the ultimate. Paul says, no, God is the one true living Lord. That is what we must sacrifice. That's what we must live for. And we must live the posture that he displayed. So maybe that means you talk less and post less because of the damage you do to your siblings in Christ. Some of you hate right now that it's even this contentious. And I'm passionate a little bit about this. And you're like, Kyle, just get me back to my show. Get me back to my phone. Get me back to your life. I really don't want to engage in this. That's too difficult to think about and navigate. But see, here's the point once again. That if God created all things and he has a love and a purpose for people's lives, then the knowledge of that demands that we be present with people in the midst of life's difficult and messy circumstances and when there are contentious issues arise. We're not necessarily taking sides, but we choose love to build up the other. And this is why we have our value story over sin. They're a tightwad. They'll just never get it. They're a little too free. They'll never understand and we judge people and we label them and we say, no, they're more like Joe No or Joe Bro. And we never move towards either one of them. For the person in Christ, such behavior is wrong. Because the person is in Christ. When we refuse to move towards people in love with the one that Christ has died for, 
They've been raised to live a new life and new existence. We have access to that new life and new existence. Therefore, we can be present. And we can able to be present and recognize that the fruit of the Spirit takes shape in our lives so that we can experience love and joy and peace in the midst of maybe what seems like hostile and difficult circumstances. See, personal behavior is dictated not by knowledge, freedom, or law, but by the love of those within the community of faith. Everything one does that affects relationships within the body of Christ should have care for brothers and sisters as their primary motivation. Our value story ever since is the story of God is so important in your life. God is so important that you love him so much and you're learning to love him so much that that, you, that story overcomes and overwhelms your own sin and you trust that as you get to know someone else's story that you recognize that that story has that same power in their life. And so you, the reality is to bring those to bear. And to live like this, it means that we must learn our identity in Christ so that we aren't first persuading people to imitate our behavior, but live out their identity in Christ. To live this story over sin, it means we have to know our own story so that when we are triggered by, our, by the other soundtracks, by our upbringings, by the wounding of our past, that we won't then weaponize and demand conformity so that it eliminates conflict. But, but, but instead be healed so that we can lead with love. Some of you may need to go to counseling so that you can understand the underlying shaping, the underlying soundtracks in your life so that you can be healed. That the power of Christ can come out in as you begin to understand your own story so that when you feel tempted, like I just can't eat the meat, that you're not looking at Joe Noen saying, you need to be like me. Or if you're Joe Noen saying, man, we've got freedom in Christ. Come on, man, let's go to the, to the, to the temple. Let's just live it up. That you don't feel tempted to do that because you care for your brother and sister in Christ. And then third, this is implied. How can people who have different beliefs coexist within the same church family? See, oftentimes we think that these two types of people cannot exist in the same church family. And how can they do that? People who think differently about alcohol or Halloween or all kinds of other things, politics, you name it. It's love. It's love. Because the love of Christ so transforms your heart that you cannot help but move towards others. Maybe it's listening to their story helping them understand their identity in Christ, helping them understand the power that they have in Christ, being patient with the teachings of Christ in their life, being responsive and helping them navigate difficult questions with the Spirit and Scriptures. And above all, practicing love, which means I'm committed relationally to you to see you built up and become more like Jesus. See, we at Generations Church, we have this. That's why we say we're a community of everyday people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. The reason we say it that way is because you all have stories. You all have unique walks of life and different perspectives, and you feel tugged one way or another. And what holds us together is not 
our shared activities, our shared upbringings, our ages, our races, our shared political ideology. No, what keeps us together, moving forward together, is Jesus. And that is the power that sustains us each and every day. So as you look around this room, as we move, as you get to know people's stories, as we do family time, even before our gatherings, that you're able to look at another brother and sister. They are a loved child of God. And I will do my part to help them become more like Christ, which may mean I'm patient, I love, I serve, and even withhold my own opinions and perspectives. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, I know that sometimes when we deal with just difficult subjects, hot topics, things we feel very strongly and passionate about, that something raises up within us. God, I pray that the thing that raises up within us, the visceral reaction we have, is first and foremost a love for you and a love for others. That what we worship, what we share, what we post, is always shaped by your love first for us. Thank you for that love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.